So Mark Edgar Stewart came across as a very manly man. He did. No, really. Yeah. I mean, he had an awesome beard. I like beards. I have I have a little thinking patch on the end of my chin. But Mark <laughs> had an awesome beard. And um, I can't grow a beard. I've, I've never well, been able to grow a I beard. Well, I can't grow sideburns. And sometimes when I see pics of Elvis, I feel lacking. And I wish I could grow sideburns. Hmm. I can't. Um, Mark has been crushing it. Uh, came to Memphis from Arkansas. And... Um, you know, this this kind of Americana, I'm just going to, it's... He's been in Memphis since, what, 92? Yeah, right. But, yeah. you know, and we talk about this with some other uh, folks on, on our show, but uh, the Americana label, you know, it, for lack of a better, you know, genres, genres can help and genres can kind of not, not accomplish what they're hoping to do. Um, but check out Mark's music. It was, it was a great hang. Um, and, you know, what does it mean to... Be a gunslinger and tour and be local and be married and just all of it, you know? We're trying to live lives and be musicians. And yet and, another uh, musician that we've talked to that is that ha- uh, excuse me, has made the transition yeah. from sideman, session man to artist. You know, so and he's, he, he kinda downplayed his songwriting, which I thought was you know, he's you know, which I thought was funny because he's She's a great, a great, great, great songwriter. songwriter. Yeah. Great songwriter. And he said he's, he feels like he's relatively new to it. He's only been doing it for a decade. Which I <laughs> right, thought right. man, well that's shoot. I mean that's uh his songs are, are lovely. Um, he draws a lot of personal story and imports those into his songs and um it was, it was, he it knows was, how to tell a story. He knows it's how to really tell good. a story. That yeah. that's that's the point. That we, we were talking about of the difference in, in songs uh, that you consume are, are if the the thing of accessorizing your life or actually looking to have your life just for a moment be informed by a story. Mm, that was deep. I like that. Did you like that? Good job. Thank you. All right. Enjoy enjoy, enjoy the episode. our conversation with Mark Edgar Stewart. So, uh, welcome, Mark E. Stewart. The E is uh, the E stands for, or is that a secret? Oh, uh, that's my middle name. That's Edgar. Edgar. So that's kind of. Are we on for real? Yeah, we let's, yeah, yeah, world? yeah. We're we're, we're spinning. Hot yeah, though. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Mark Edgar Stewart. That's kind of what I'm used as for like all my gigs and stuff, and my my musical persona and all my records. That, that also kind of has a liter, li- literary uh, yeah, was, distinction, doesn't it? You know, it, it was my is my middle name. And, uh, uh, of course, when I started writing songs about eight, nine years ago, there's already a Mark Stewart out there in Nashville who's uh, yes. married the Steve Earle sister. So, and I'm kind of in that Americana world, sort of, even though Americana is something different now than it was 10 years ago. <laughs> uh, so I figure I need to kind of make that distinction. Yeah. But it still happens. I'll, I'll, I'll be booked somewhere on the road, and they show up, and it's me, and they're upset. Like, oh, wait, you're not Steve Earle's brother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> True uh, story. It's happened. Yeah, oh, yeah. gosh. Well, you know, we always start with some bio, but today I thought I'd start with... Uh, Switching it up, Carl. You know, based upon a meme, if I were to ask you, Fender or Gibson, what would you say? Uh, in my new musical journey, it would be Gibson. I used to be like a Fender mm. guy because I, uh, I was always a bass player my, my most of my right? musical career. So, you know, there's nothing... Leo Fender's greatest invention was a P-bass. Yeah, right. But then I started kind of doing the singer-songwriter thing and stepping up in the spotlight, doing the, the front-man deal, and, and uh, I just 
Gibson acoustic guitars. Mm. And then J45. Kinda, uh, I got a J45. Yes. I got a Southern Jumbo. I got an LG1. Mm. I got an F25. I'm, I can kind of geek out on this stuff. Ah. And then that turns into, uh, I play electric guitar at some of my gigs when I play with the band. Of course, I just play hollow body Gibsons. Yeah. Know, so 330s and 335s and a 125. Uh, and then I was going to say jazz or P bass, but it sounds like you might say. P-Bass. Yeah, P-Bass. Right. I rocked a jazz for a while. and, and uh, I think uh, I saw a couple of Instagram or something where you, where you were rocking the uh, the short scale, like a music master. Yeah, when, jazz, I, when I do yeah. sessions. Yeah. I do a lot of, I still get a lot of bass sessions. Uh, Bruce Watson, the guy who has a Fat Possum Records, he has yeah. a studio here. Yeah. And I, I get to do all the sessions, which I'm lucky, man. Cause I, I tell him, like, man, you know, there's a thousand other better bass players in town than me, but he still calls me. But he has a Mustang bass, man, and I've, I've just fallen in love with it for recording wow. purposes. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't play with it live because a little Mustang bass makes a fat guy like me look even fatter. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I can't, I can't have a short scale bass live. You know, and it's like a little little toothpick. But man, in the studio, those things really have a sound to it. Wow! And it's kind of amazing that a short scale bass, I think, actually has more low end. There's a science to that, by the way. Wow! I think it's the the string tension or something. Okay. But a man, they just cut through a mix. For, for what got, I do with his sessions. You got you know, flat wounds or round wounds? Oh, yeah, on that thing? flat wounds. I even right? put like a little sock in the bridge, kind of deaden it mm. up a little bit. Yeah. Goodness gracious. Yeah, I've got, I've got an old mid 70s music master with flat wounds. And, and yeah, for, for tracking, it. it's fun. It's a lot and of you fun. know, uh, most of the, well, at least a lot of the Nashville bass players I meet, they're always drop tuning their four strings. Yeah, yeah. To, to maybe get, you know, and according to one bud of mine, he was all about, like, yeah, there's different resonance, it feels different. And well, totally. uh, I always thought it was a little like, I don't know. I thought it was a little more pseudoscience or psychosomatic or yeah. I don't know. And then I started messing with it and I thought, well, yeah, there is something to this. There's you know? something to it. Like yeah. even with the short scale like bass, it's uh, I think it's shorter scale so they don't intonate quite as well. But the but uh, uh, you play and, and you can almost kind of change the pitch slightly because the intonation is smaller, which it almost lends itself to more of an upright feel a little bit. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? Because, you know, an upright, you're constantly intonating yourself. Yeah. And you kind of get a little bit of that on, on these little short scale basses. In huh. the studio, and little, it's kind of cool. Little natural chorus. Yeah, it's, little, it's, it's kind of cool, you know, and sit there, and, you know. So, anyway, <laughs> that's been my new thing. Well, lately. that's a good start to this conversation. Now, should we get to the bio? So, uh, you're, you, how long have you been in Memphis? I've been in Memphis since 1992. 92, so yeah, man. I'm originally from Pine Bluff, Arkansas, and I just I moved here for an orchestra scholarship. So, I was a, I was a symphony geek my yeah. whole childhood. And then I moved up here to, you know, to... Do that, you know. Being was that upright bass or upright bass? Yeah. yeah, yeah, excellent. And then I eventually got the rock and roll bug and and threw all my education out the window and climbed in a van and did that <laughs> and made my parents happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what did you do with all that education? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it has informed a life on the road. Yeah. So yeah, so uh, so ninety two. So that was kind of like long time ago. Well, I mean, as far as like, you know, every time we bring up the '90s in Memphis or to some Memphis people, people really yeah, elevate the '90s as like a high point of Memphis live no. music. That's right? that's a uh, that's a conversation I've had a few times lately. Okay, and you then know, and, and then you hear a lot of the opposite. Yeah, like, well, like, what a you know depressing time for <laughs> well, right? for me. <laughs> like, no, no, I'm not to sound like an old dude, but I can remember when I moved here and 
I can see both sides of it. Yeah. Okay. You know, but uh, I, I would definitely say this. Uh, I think the music now is better than it's ever been. I'm not going to say Memphis music is better than the 90s. It wasn't, man. What's happening now is awesome. We got so many great things happening, yeah. so much diversity. I mean, yeah. Things are happening. What I will say is in the 90s and even the early 2000s, more people went out and saw music. Okay, right. Okay, that's my that's that's my my beef. Interesting. Right there. Yeah, right. Because uh, uh, yeah, we've always had great music, but uh, I can remember in those days, just as a fan, I mean, you had like the whole Highland Strip thing happening. I mean, Highland Strip was kind of where it was at, man. You know, I'd go there and and all these clubs would be packed. It's like live bands. Like, man, who can go see tonight? Oh, we're gonna go see DDT. You know, we're gonna go see Straight Up Buzz. I mean, all these got big ass truck. You know, and right. there'd be 400 kids there on a Thursday night. And that wasn't infrequent. It was like about every other week or so they're playing, and that was it, you know. And and uh, Newbies in the early 90s was actually a, a big venue to go to. I had a place called Crazy Larry's, or I forget, a place called The Library. You know, New Daisy was local bands used to play mm-hmm. at the New Daisy on Bill Street. That was a local venue. That wasn't just some, right. you know, go down there, and there's 300 kids down there watching a, a show, you know. That's where we went. Yeah, and and I just I don't really see that anymore. I, mean, I, I could be old dude, grumpy old dude, but I think a lot of it is just the, these phones, social media, all that. More people just kind of stay at home. Maybe I, I don't know uh, the changing musical landscape a little bit. I don't know, but it's got something to do with it. I just feel no, like less I, people. No, go I out. think you're right. Yeah. It's I mean we we bring that up a lot. Just just the lack of I mean, people get out to see music, but it's... you know my my my, do- my oldest daughter. I'm going to pick on her for a minute here. She probably won't listen to this, but um, <laughs> now here she is, 17, and uh, it, it's been it's been a uh, um, uh, prolonged struggle to get her to get her her driver's license. She really has. She's really like, meh. Like I I, yeah. I couldn't wait to freaking drive. Of course, I grew up in Southern California, so I had cool places to go. Uh, in my, in my head anyway. Come on now. Right, I know, right? Come no, on. but uh, <laughs> like the beach. No, but I like I was just jonesing the drive, and she's really been like we've really had to get on her about you know helping out with the family at least just to you know cart your sisters around or do some of this. But it's it's been she's really like if we hadn't if we, we if we weren't pushing it, she probably just would just Uber yeah. or just do you know. Yeah, that's not. I mean, that's a, a thing. thing now. I it's mean, like every. Every other babysitter that my wife and I try to—I mean, it's like, well, okay, well, can can you come pick me up and and yeah. and then take me home afterwards? Like, no, no, <laughs> you're, you're. I think it is like a, a, a generation thing, you yeah. know. And then and even with the music, you know, I can. I remember when I first moved here. I mean, it was like you had like guys like Todd Snyder playing. It was always packed. Garrison Starr, all these people. It was it was it was an event, you know. Yeah. And, and these people played frequently to big crowds. And and then I was in a band called the Paul Tuggets, and we did pretty good. And and uh, uh, just great crowds. And I even remember up to the to the first uh, high tone with, with when Dave Lorson, he was the, the original owner. Man, he just put on the best shows there, and it just seemed like there was just an audience. It was just a yeah. thing, but. Past five years, it's I, I know I know some guys are still doing well, but I, just, I don't see it as much anymore, you know. And I've 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 gone to a lot of shows that should have been packed, and they're just not packed. It's kind of sad. <laughs> it, 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 to not to plug another podcast, yeah. but to plug a podcast, uh, the Cocaine and Rhinestones yeah. podcast. Yeah, I love that one. Just you know, and you, and you hear about when he when he uh, when he's talking about the Bakerfield's days and uh, with the Buck Owens and those guys. So we're talking what late fifties, right? Early like those guys yeah, are but that would have mm-hmm. been early sixties, early sixties. When, yeah, when, yeah. when he, yeah. but those guys are making five hundred plus a week, and 
in those in, in those decades of dollars, you know, filling ballrooms with live, yeah, live music. And it, so it's a it's a different a construct, thing, you know. Yeah, now, I remember I had this one moment because uh, back uh, uh, even even we would go to Oxford all the time. I mean, Oxford was just like okay, yeah, music, music, music. Yeah. I mean, and when you were a Memphis musician, I was just part of your route. And I did a gig there about ten years ago playing bass for a guy named Alvin Youngblood Hart, who's pretty big in that world, you know what I mean? And in that particular gig, we had Jimbo Mathis sit in with us and Luther Dickinson. I mean, we got three powerhouse names. And I remember we, we, we played this gig for about 40 people. And then we, we go out on the balcony on break. And I look next door and there's a line out the door for the DJ. Yeah. And yeah. that was about 2005. I'm like, sign of the time. Uh, yeah. We right. got three of the biggest names and sort of that, that, that kind of North Mississippi kind of blues kind of rock world, and dude, there's 40 people in there, and there must be 300 kids waiting to get into this little place for a DJ. Yeah, not wrong. With that that's your thing. Now I get it. <laughs> but my point is, it's just I just don't think the audience is there like it used to be. You know? Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a different. We were talking a little bit about that before you you walked in. There was a, a little uh, graphic meme of um, record sales quarterly. Oh. Elvis and the Beatles. Yeah, from, just, from yeah, from um, it's actually a guy who uh, I think he sells uh, reel to reel. You can buy, you know, it's it's for aficionados of the reel to reel playback. Oh yeah, yeah, and so and he he made up this awesome uh, animation of quarterly sales start, starting from Beatles and Elvis. Is that is that when it starts? The the fifty. Yeah, right? they were constantly alternating for the top and so so you have this you have this these bar graphs swapping in and out of different artists you know all all time selling you know and it's quarterly this little clock and it's it's remarkable and of how uh for me anyway it brings up like the mindset of like well is music just this accessory that just changes and and it just kind of it adds to whatever it is you're pursuing or is music a, a passion that you actually pursue and it has a little more deeper thread running through your life, and and that, that that's a whole other yeah. discussion, you know. But yeah, you, you mean know. as an a, a listener, a consumer, yeah, of, yeah. an actual music fan, like like what does right. that mean yeah. today as opposed to you know? I think as a fan, man, it's it's it's, it's better than ever. I mean, as a fan, man, you got all these these streaming devices. It's all right. free. Everything you want, at your fingertips, which I think is kind of awesome. You know, I mean, right. it is. But then the for a musician, it's not so much as awesome. I mean, I guess they hear your music, but. <laughs> Right. No one's buying your records anymore, or, or like when you're kind of on the level I'm at. You know, I, I go play gigs, and and I really count on maybe selling ten CDs at a gig. That's a hundred bucks. That's gas in the tank. That's right. the next gig. Man, CDs are done, man. Right, right. That's sort of the the epiphany I've had in just the past couple of months. You know, I, I did this house show, and I had more people come up to me and go, "Man, I, I, I want to support you. I'm gonna buy every CD you have, but I don't own a CD player though." I remember the gig's over and we're cleaning up and my CDs are just left behind and all the chairs. Cause they bought them, thank you, but mm. they had no use for them. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, man. I mean... That, that was another one of my favorite. I was like, okay, so what do we do now? You know, it's like koozies, shirts, I, I don't know. Swag, I mean, yeah, right. Swag, you know, yeah. and I, don't, I know some people say vinyl, which I get that, but vinyl is a fortune. It's an arm and a leg, yeah. you know, and there's like a nine-month yeah. turnaround. It costs a fortune to make those right. records. You, right. you can't make money off that. You know, what's like eight People bucks are buying, record. though. I mean, if oh, yeah. You, yeah, I mean, it's... But for like a somebody on my level, like the little independents, man, if you don't have a little label helping you, you, you can't afford vinyl on your own. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's, 
hopefully that price should come down as vinyl gets bigger and there'll be more competition, you know, which I think yeah. might already be happening. Yeah. But when I did my 45, it took like nine months for that thing to get made. And I think the cost was like six, it was like five bucks a 45. Whoa. Mm. Something like that, 483 or something. Because, you know, I couldn't afford to do to make 3,000 of them. So I think I made like 800 of them. So then I had to try to sell them at my gigs for 10. No one's buying a 45 for 10. So wow. Now, now I just sort of say, just pay what you want. <laughs> and I have a closet full of 45s. But uh, I, I did my rec release show and sold about 100. And then I think I have the other 400 in my closet. <laughs> oh, but, man. Yeah, I think the... Uh the vinyl is huge now, which I think is cool, you know? Yeah. And, and, the, and the whole concept of a single is back, which I think is awesome. Yeah. It's just the way it was in the 50s, you know what right. I mean? You, you put a single out there, you put a 45, put three or four, and then they wind up on a big full length, you know? And, yeah. And, and now it's kind of the same way, you know, but it's just you're putting singles out on, on streaming platforms, and then that winds up being your record. Like, that's kind of the way Sam Phillips did it 70 years ago. And, right, right. And that's kind of back, and I, that's kind of cool. I dig it. I don't mind that at all. I, I've heard a lot of, you know, positions against that but yeah it's just like you said i mean yeah. really the 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 album as as a thing i mean yeah it lasted a long time I mean, it's still going on yeah, yeah. but but it's not like it was always you know it <laughs> yeah yeah it's, yeah it's just singles and uh terrestrial radio still baffles me like uh, someone we were talking with someone or i read somewhere that it's still a major player which i which i find con- yeah I, which, which i'm baffled I, by I had a conversation two weeks ago um, with Jerry Phillips, Sam Phillips' son. You know, he owns a, all these radio stations down south. And, okay. And he was having this debate with one of his friends, and he was telling me about it. It's like, folks tell me that radio is dead. Well, if that's so, advertise a free TV set on your radio and see how many people call. You know, that his point was saying, you know, yeah. being, <laughs> say that over the air, I dare you. And they say right. how many people call you. You know what I mean? People are listening, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Advertise a free television set and see how many people will, will call your radio station. And he said that his guy was like, no, thank you. I won't do that, you know? Afraid <laughs> <laughs> somebody might be listening well, and call, you know? Yeah, but I, I mean, as, as a music listener, like what pretty much, you know, WEVL uh, still captures my attention. Yeah. Sure. You know, I mean, I like, so, I, right. I mean, I mean, so I'm thinking like what, what terrestrial radio really speaks to me and it's it's like... I just end up scanning the stations. For example, like if my phone is charging or if something, I don't have something set up on my own playlist, and I have to rely on radio. It's it's uh, yeah. I, so it, not a whole lot of it reaches these I, I these radio. older ears. You I know, radio. I think even we were on the tail end of it all. You know, with the golden because I could. You know, you, you like read all the books, like back in the 50s and 60s, a DJ could make an artist. Of course. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Dewey Phillips. I mean, if, if he liked your record, he played it, and thousands of people heard it. And then, of course, in later years, toward the end of the golden age of radio, you know, it was all just calculated. So it was all— Well, yeah, no, yeah. If a it, DJ if, didn't have freedom to just play what he wanted. He's going off yeah. a list. But that was kind of a neat thing back in those days well, where you that, could do that. That's you know? the thing, like, with, with, with Weevil, where you're thinking, like, well, here's a music aficionado who's found something— and I kind of relate to his playlist already, so you have this you have this currency of trust of like, yeah, I kind of like what this what this person is into, and if, how how magical and still great if if someone finds something, oh, you got you got to listen to this. I love that. I mean, I, that, that. I still yeah. get a buzz off that, right? Yeah. Like like like, oh, you never heard so and so? You here, check this out. And you're like, oh my goodness, which that still happens, you know, like yeah. on podcasts and things right. like that. But like as far as like 
big mass commercial radio. Well, that, yeah. That, that really hadn't happened in decades, you know. I just, no. I do remember when I first moved here uh, uh, in radio, like uh, listening to like the Wake Up Crew and all that kind of stuff. Oh, radio yeah. was a big deal, man. Right. I can remember like you, you'd see like Bad Dog and those guys out at Alex's and it was just like, oh my God, everybody's like freaking out. You know, it's like, <laughs> like, like it's a superstar. Right. Because DJs were like stars back then, man. And, right. and uh, that's, I remember that. Now I think in the 90s was kind of the tail end of all that. But, man, I can remember seeing Bag Dog or Zeke out and just completely fanboying out. I'm just thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going to go say something to him, but I'm not. <laughs> or, or, or going to work or going to class and being late for class because I'm sitting in my car because I can't wait for the – I, I want to hear what happens at the end of the show. Oh, right, they, right. Have, you know I mean? They're or some, the dumbass of the day. Yeah, <laughs> something crazy's happening. They, they got, like, Jack Nicholson on, on, on the telephone prank call, and I got to see how this ends, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I think that was a really a neat neat moment even right. here for Memphis Radio, and I just – man, I'm, I don't listen to radio that much either anymore except Weevil and right. that – that 103.1 that my wife just turned me on to. Y'all heard that? <laughs> no, what's that? I don't think so. It's, I don't know the details. I don't even say anything wrong over the air, but uh, it's <laughs> 103.1, I think. And it's just the most random, there is no format. Right. <laughs> like the, the dude will just play like, oh, classic country, deep cuts. And then he'll follow it up with like Mariah Carey. <laughs> you know, wow! Like it, it's the most random thing ever, but huh. it's kind of cool. I, I do listen to the gospel station. Uh, what ninety five point seven, Hallelujah, or something? Because because gospel music is still a very powerful. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and those guys are just crushed. The players, all these guys have gone to Berkeley School of Music, and they come out just <laughs> ferocious. Yeah, yeah. And then they're laying down these gospel records. And you're like, oh my goodness, that's a blast to listen to. I like that. Yeah, radio, man. I- I miss radio. I miss radio. Yeah, I mean, if, if what as far as radio keeping up with what is happening on your phone, that 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 that's a dichotomy for me, and that that's where I'm still kind of baffled as to why why it just hasn't gone away, why it's still a, a player. And I'm, I'm, I mean, yeah, that's cool, but it's uh, it's interesting. Um, so your 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 current realm of of, of touring, like how much. Uh, uh, do you consider yourself a road guy? I mean, is that pretty much the, the pr- primary? No, not, like- not, not, not anymore. Yeah. I, uh, I really went after it for, for a couple of years, like just try to book myself out of town and, you know, and I got asked to do like a lot of these festivals on the road and that was a whole lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And, but the past year or two, I've kind of been a little, getting a little old and jaded a little bit. So I'm, I'm trying <laughs> to keep it positive here, you know. You, you don't look that old. I mean, we're not videotaping right now. But so, about, so. <laughs> After about, I, I did it for like seven years, and, and, and then lately I was like, man, what am I doing? You know, because you, mm. you, you, you're traveling three, 400 miles for a gig where you might make 100 bucks or 200 bucks, and uh. it just, you wouldn't really come home with any money. Right. Yeah. Uh, you were just banking on those anchor gigs, which is usually the festival that might pay you really good, and then right. maybe that could finance everything else. And... And for people who have like a lot of help with an agent and all that kind of stuff, it works for them, you know. But you know, it's just it wouldn't really where I was at in my career. I just I couldn't really make it work, and and I was at the age where I just I wasn't gonna. I didn't want to sleep on a couch or sleep on a floor anymore. I did right. that in my twenties. It's like there had to be some little level of comfort, and I'm not ashamed for saying that now. I was like, dude, I'm 45. I'm, I'm not gonna yeah sleep in my van. And I'm like, no, and so if you you can't pay me to come out there and play, then I just can't do it. Right. You know. Yeah. But 20 years ago, I would have done it in a second. Woohoo! Let's go, man. <laughs> yeah. Sleep on the floor, 10 degree weather for Gypsy Life. Yeah. Five dudes in a band and we split 50 bucks, you know. Oh, Woo! Been there, done that, man. Yeah. And those are good times. I wouldn't trade that for, for a minute. But, yeah, man. You know, we just, when we get older and I can 
got a wife and all that, and, you know, got to going to have to going to have to make it worth it somehow. Yeah, you know? no, that's so, that, that's reality. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, so as far as like with the local scene, um, you, you mentioned Americana has been a label, but the diversity of Memphis music is uh, there, there's a lot happening here right yeah. now. Oh, totally. I think the scene is as good as it's ever been, if not yeah. better. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, you can just, some of my favorite, you know, a lot of my, like, you got, like, people like, I got my buddy uh, Landon, plays bass with me. He plays in a ton of bands. He does the MDs. Yeah. Which is uh, the, the tribute to Booker T. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Yeah, we had Joe uh, on. He plays in Marcella. I think Marcella is just amazing. I love what she's doing. Right. You know, uh, there's a lot of, there's a whole kind of a rap scene that's happening that 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 I don't know much about, but I respect it. And I'm mm-hmm. watching it go down and people are actually going to these shows. I'm like, go. That's awesome. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, uh, then sort of the Americana thing, which I guess I'm sort of lumped into. You know, there's, there's a few of us out there doing that too, you know. And uh, uh, I don't know. I think it's as good as it's ever been. Yeah. There's a lot of cool stuff. I heard this other... Where's this record I heard? I think it was Heels. Have you heard those guys yet? Am I even saying the right name? Anyway, yeah. I heard Heels that. Heels or e- the Eels? Yeah. No, he, oh, Heel. H-E-E-L. Oh, okay. Huh. Man, that was awesome. That was good. But uh, I'm just trying to think of things I've heard lately that I was really kind of knocked out by. You yeah. Know? Um, and then I'm doing this little songwriters series at the Orpheum Halloran. Right. right. And uh, I've kind of been scoping out, trying to get people to do it. And I've been trying to, you know— get in touch with a lot of newer music around and younger folks and I've heard some really amazing things you know it's like man go Memphis yeah, uh, yeah let's get into that what, uh, what, what's that all about yeah yeah so uh, they, they they approached me about six months ago they wanted to do like a little songwriter series at the Halloran Center and they wanted me to kind of curate it and kind of put my name to it so because there is kind of a neat little singer songwriter scene here so mm-hmm. what we do is uh, uh, it'd be three songwriters per gig and we're all in the round Round meaning kind of like Bluebird style. So we're just in the round swapping songs. If it right. takes a turn, you know, you kind of really get behind the fundamentals of songwriting, you know, and, and as an audience member, you're hearing, you know, the inspiration behind the song and, you know, you're getting the camaraderie between the other writers and it's it's a neat little show. And that's a format that, that I would do a lot on the road, you know, and, and it was made famous at the Bluebird in Nashville. You right. got three songwriters just hanging out and, and that's kind of what we're trying to do here. But uh, in searching for talent, man, I was just... That's the great thing about the world today with Facebook and Instagram and computers, man. I'm checking all kinds of people out going, right. wow, this is really good. And yeah. I'll shoot them a message. Hey, you want to play my thing? I think you're cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, Right on. But that's what we're doing. And we've done two so far. And the last one, man, was packed. It was great. Uh, we had uh, John McEwen from the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band just show up and sit in with us, which nice. is pretty cool. Oh, my goodness. Know? Yeah. And uh, I got a third one coming up in February. And then I got one in March. Okay. And then we'll take a break. And hopefully, if it goes well, they'll let me do it next season. And if we can get people to come out to this thing, maybe we can move it inside the theater. You know what I mean? But, but right now, we cap it at about fifty or seventy people. But uh, and, and it's been full each every time. But I just you know. So can, f- for people not familiar, th- this is this is a a lovely facility attached to the Orpheum. Yep. yep. Yeah. So if you're moving south on Main, it's just right yeah. right down the street. So they have this like beautiful little lobby bar with a fireplace. Right by Beale Street. Yeah, we, we've yeah. been doing that there. And it's been going well. So hopefully people keep coming. Maybe we can get some sponsors. Maybe make it grow a little bit. Yeah. We can get some sponsors. Then maybe I can attract some some bigger name songwriters like from Nashville maybe to come down. And yeah, It just so happens you're wearing an old Dominic t-shirt. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I, I, it just so happens they're down the street as well. Yes, I, I, I worked there for, <laughs> for about a year. I, 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 so, uh, uh, 
No, we're fans. So those oh, yeah. those yeah. guys are great. They're, they're good dudes. Oh, yeah. yeah, I was there for about a year. I kind of helped and them get gal. the whole gift shop going and <laughs> their, their tasting program. And then I decided I didn't want a real job anymore, so now I just do music again. <laughs> but I still rock their T-shirt, though. Oh, man. They're good oh. guys. I like them. Yeah, that was a fun stuff. episode. I think that was we a great were drinking whiskey, whiskey at like 1030 in the morning. Yeah, yeah. Put some whiskey and coffee here. So how? So let's talk about songwriting. You're, look, I mean that that's um, that's kind of like a Hogwarts uh, dark arts kind of thing. Where I mean, people nail it, and then people don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I guess it's kind of blunt. It's like I I was asked once to try and and foolishly uh, do a seminar in songwriting because I I've written jingles. I don't consider myself like a songwriter per se. But as I looked into it, I was looking at a uh, you know I was trying to see the uh, um, similarities uh, between writing. Uh, you know, literary and, and songwriting. And, and so I was looking at interviews with Stephen King and some other guys, and basically their whole take was like, well, just write a bunch and don't suck at it. Yeah. And you'll do fine. That's pretty much the consensus. Like, oh, just keep at it and don't write bad songs and you'll be okay. I've, 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 I've heard that, you know. <laughs> I've heard that songwriting is a muscle. You just got to work it out, okay. you yeah. know. Uh, I think there's some truth to that, but then sometimes there's not. I mean, everybody's different, you know. Right. Like, I've only been doing the songwriting thing for about nine years now. So I, I started doing that in 2012. And uh, my style of songwriting is probably different from others. I'm sure some people argue, like, man, that guy's kind of weird. But I just... <laughs> <laughs> mine is... My songwriting is just really biographical. Almost too much. <laughs> you know? Okay. So I can only really write about something that really happened. I just can't make up a story out of thin air and, and try to appeal to to the masses, which I wish I could do because I'd probably be a lot further down the road if I could do it, but I can't. But, but what I can do is I'll just take a moment or a story that I've experienced and, mm-hmm. and it comes really easy to me and I write a song about it and, and maybe somebody can get something out of it or maybe it's too personal for somebody to get something out of it. I don't know, but but it's that part's worked for me. Yeah. But I have other friends who can really write these songs for, for the masses and, and man, I envy them so much. I mean, they really have a knack for it. And some people can really not have a knack for it, and it comes across really cheesy and terrible. <laughs> but when okay. you really have a knack for it, man, like like yeah. song craft, man, it's a pretty magical thing, right? And I don't, I don't think I have that. I wish I did, but I don't know I, if I agree with that. I, I was listening to uh, Blues for Lou. <laughs> that's real personal. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah and and man, I was super story driven, and yeah, yeah. and yeah, I don't mind admitting there were a couple times, man, I kind of teared up. Yeah, there, my birthday was uh, that that. Kind of, it kind of killed me, man. I, that, I got, I got to play that song again. I've last time I played that song was when I recorded it, and I haven't played it since. Yeah. Oh gosh, so was, you know, yeah. I just lost my dad, and that's kind of what inspired me to start writing songs because I was always a bass player. So I lost my dad, and then I got cancer that same year. I just had this really terrible year in 2010, oh. and then I was like, well, let me, I'm gonna try the songwriting thing, you know, and. And of course, and I never even tried to sing before either. So I'm sitting there going, "Well, I guess I need to try to sing." And I'd sing and and into my phone and play it back. Going, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> you know. And then I'd find like certain songs that I could sing, and I realized, well, maybe I need to just write songs that I can sing. So what was on my mind at the time was dad being sick and all that, and that kind of inspired that record. But uh, yeah, looking back on it, it's pretty it's pretty personal stuff. I kind of wish yeah. it could. The second record is even more personal, you know, and now I'm at this point going, okay, I'm, I'm tired of being personal. I want to, I just want to be happy now. I want to. Okay. You know, so that's kind of where I'm at now. But 
we're safe. I mean, I think people need those songs too, though. <laughs> I really know? do. I yeah. mean, that, yeah. that's a yeah. That's, that's, and, it, and it really feels good when somebody will will like message me or something. Go, man, I heard that song, my birthday or Trinity, my dear, and, and wow, it moved me. Blah 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 blah. And that, yeah. that, that kind of makes it worth it. There, yeah. this man actually listened and kind of got it and got something from it. You know, but yeah, th- uh, th- things ain't fine was a, another good one. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, that, 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 that kind of stuck with me. And, that was about the whole cancer thing. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and almost mine. That, that, that. Yeah, yeah. Who was doing? Were you doing the lead stuff on that too? Yeah, yeah. That, that was me uh, on Blues for Lou. I, I, I played most of the instruments on that one, and then Kate Lawson did the harmonies. Okay. Uh, my buddy John Argos played the drums, so I played most of the instruments in Blues for Lou. And then his last record I did, it was the first time I'd ever just gone in the studio with a band. Mm-hmm. Just kind of left it up to everybody else to do yeah. the thing, you know. Is there a little anxiety about performing those songs that you'd be overcome with with the whole narrative that? You, yeah, you probably through, my, my most popular song or my hit, if there's such a thing, is called Remote Control. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that song has opened a lot of doors for me and got me in folk festival and stuff. This is a song about my dad about a time before Remote Control Televisions when I was his remote control. Right. Right. Yeah. I'd right. sit on the armor's chair and be like, go change the channel. And I'd go there and change the channel. And, of course, fast forward 30 years, I lost my dad. And I remember going home, and there's that recliner sitting there empty. And I remember thinking to myself, man, what I would do to be his remote control one last time. And that inspired that song. And it resonated with a whole lot of people, you know. And we did yeah. a video for it in the middle of East Parkway. You know, and I think within, like, the first six months, it got, like, 20,000 views. It was just the most yeah. random, like, bam. It was like, wow, you know. And yeah. And whenever I play gigs, everybody wants to hear that song. It's like, God, you just want to hear the saddest song in the world. Okay, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) But I always tell people, it's like, if I have to sing that song the rest of my life, I'm okay with it. Okay. I'd rather be the remote control guy than be the, say, the achy, breaky heart guy. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> well, you could be stuck with that song the rest you of your could, life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you could be very rich too. But, uh, anyway. uh, uh, I'm sure Billy Ray has no problem being the achy, breaky heart guy. Yeah. As he yeah. sits on his yacht and his 40 acre ranch in Nashville. I mean, he, he killed that haircut too. That was, <laughs> I heard mullets were coming back. I, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I don't know. But yeah. I got friends who write songs I kind of envy sometimes. Like, wow. You know, like this guy I've been hanging out with lately. Y'all know Brandon Kinder? He plays with the Wealthy Wealthy West. Man, that guy's a force, man. I'm a super fan. Mm. You check him out. Okay. Dude, he's a good guy. Yeah, I had him on my songwriter night. Uh, he, he's amazing. Uh, a guy named Jed Zimmerman, who I've known for years. I'm going to produce his record in, in November, man. He just he writes these songs that just resonate with Are these people, local you know? guys or are they? Yeah, local guys. Fantastic. You know, nice. Guys younger than me, and I'm just like going, wow. I like what you're doing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, uh, there's this other girl that I got hip to about six months ago, and she's become a friend now, Bailey Bigger. Okay, yeah. About 18 years old. Man, she's a force. She's uh-huh. awesome. Has this most amazing voice. Uh, she's a full deal. She's the package. She's she going to be a star. If yeah. She, she keeps her head on straight and doesn't <laughs> screw up. I think she's got potential, you know, and I hope she's listening right now. Yeah. You know? But yeah, she's keep great. It, keep it together. Yeah, keep it together, kid. <laughs> Don't go anything stupid. <laughs> so, so how do you? I, I know you said you know you you've been doing more personal um, writing and everything, but but in general, say you weren't going that route. I mean, how do you approach just sitting down and writing a song? Um, yeah, let's say in the early days, like all that stuff, that just came out. It was just every mm-hmm. day, you know. I, I would write, and I kind of got in this little pattern where I wrote every morning because at the time I was working a real job, so I, I managed a liquor store, so. I didn't go in there to like 3 o'clock every night mm-hmm. or 3 o'clock every afternoon. So I always had all day to write. And I got in this little ritual, man, every morning. As soon as my wife left the house, I had to have the place to myself. 
I'd sit in front of my computer, my guitar, and I'd just start writing. Right. You know, and it was, it really came out, you know, and, and I got a lot of material in those two years. You know, and then life changed a little bit, and now I'm doing music full time again. It's kind of crazy. I'm not writing as much anymore. It's like, uh oh. <laughs> you know, because my, my schedule's different, you know. Yeah. It's, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm spending all that time that I used to write songs, networking, trying to get gigs, trying to line up things, you know, like right. promoting myself, the whole business side of it. And all of a sudden, your creativity just took a back seat. And that's c- kind of the transition I'm at right now that's been kind of, I'm trying to figure that one out. It's got me freaked out a little bit, you know. It is an odd, you know, yes. sort of irony. You know? It's like, is that redundant? All that computer time <laughs> used to be Microsoft Word, and I'm just typing my lyrics, I'm just writing nonstop. Now that computer time is. Hey, uh, you got any dates open for this date or blah blah blah, or you know, or just answering emails for gigs. And, right. And then by the time I get done with all that, I'm like, God, I want to get up and go eat some lunch now. Need, need, need to hire a hire a manager, network, huh? You know? yeah. yeah. But you got to do it. <laughs> you have to do it. But dude, my 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 creative faucet has kind of <laughs> it's slow in the past year, but I feel like I'm kind of getting it back a little bit. You feeling feeling the itch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was working on a song before I came in this morning. I call it Bungalow Blues. So wish me luck. It just all right. popped in my head. Yeah, <laughs> we all live in these weird old houses in Midtown. I'm thinking, yeah. man, there's a song in here somewhere. <laughs> so hey, I don't know if we've we've really talked about Mid. I mean, we've mentioned Midtown, but you uh, is that has that been your residence since? Yeah, yeah. I've always been a Midtowner. I mean, so, when I first so, moved here, I mean, I was at U of M or Memphis State then. So I was over there in the Highland area. Could you call Midtown like the Greenwich Village of uh, Memphis? Totally. Okay, so so once you tell Especially people, my neighborhood, all the cool kids of my okay, right. So th- this little hotbed of creativity, like when we run into people, uh, people visiting Memphis. Of course, there's the whole Beale Street thing, and and and, and people that want to do the Graceland thing, you know, little circuit of. And if you mention, oh, you're a real music fan, we need to get down to Bar DKDC. You need to get, you know, try and make your way. Yeah. Tell your Uber driver to get down into Midtown, and see some of the local things that are brewing down there so how 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 much has midtown changed since you've uh hit it um i don't think it's really changed all that much okay. really i mean it, musically i don't think it's changed all that much i mean the genres are different you uh-huh. know but but it's still kind of i think the hotbed of creativity uh artistic types whether it be music or artists can afford to live there right it is getting a little more expensive now right but, uh, I, hope, I hope we don't follow the same path as other cities uh-huh which in a way I do because that's great, but then again, you know, when you when you when you price artists out of their neighborhoods and where right. do they go, and then and everything that made a community great is not there anymore. Because yeah, it's mm-hmm. you know it's a cyclical thing of a, a lack of a better word, gentrification yeah. of 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 a exactly. Yeah. You know, the artists but, move in and, and do their thing and make it lovely, and then it attracts commerce and it attracts and they get pushed out. Yeah, just like it happened in Austin and Nashville and in New York I, as well. New I mean, York, yeah, yeah. Not, yeah. Not, not, I think a lot of. We're getting a lot of those folks, which I think is cool. I think there's a really neat little moment happening here. And, and I've been here for like 25 years, and, and I've always heard people go, oh, man, something's happening. <laughs> it never did. But 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 I feel like now, for real, it is. Yeah. You know, even then, I was like, uh. But now I'm like, okay, I think something really is happening. You yeah. Know? We got all the Sears Crosstown business. We right. got um, a lot of cool things happening. We got a lot of. Got some big players that moved here, you know, music-wise from from some of these big cities and and made Memphis home. You know, yeah. We got a couple of amazing producers and engineers who've moved here and, and built studios because they got priced out of Nashville. Right. Uh, we got some killer players come from Austin. We got guys like Dale Watson and Will Sexton who live here in Memphis now, call it yeah. home. Yeah. Because they got priced out of, you know, Austin. You know, I mean, there, there's something happening. And I'm hearing of all kinds of guys moving from Nashville to because they can create here and they can— 
afford to live here. Right. right. You could still rent for six or seven hundred bucks a month. Yeah. Couldn't do, can't do that in Nashville. Yeah. You know? Right. No. When I was coming up, I was renting a little place for two hundred ten dollars a month, but. <laughs> That was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I think this scene's the same, if not better. You know, That's cool. And still Midtown, totally. You got a place like Bar DKDC. Rail Garden's cool. Uh, the whole Sears Crosstown thing is amazing. They got the green room. Right. My buddy Kevin, he, he's booking that, and he's he's really kind of got a pulse on things, and they're just getting getting great music. Yeah. I just, people got to start showing up to it. You yeah. Know what I mean? Um, yeah. Like I said, I saw Robbie Folks and Linda Gale Lewis a few weeks ago. That yeah, that thing should have been packed, you know. They had wow. a good crowd. It was like, that should have been a big deal, and it wasn't. I think I was but, playing. Uh, out, yeah, we were playing the Nancy We were playing Wilson right thing. outside the, yeah. <laughs> the jazz set that was happening. Did you yeah, see? Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Was, yeah. That was Jonathan and I, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I watched that. That was good, man. <laughs> I was like going, hey, yeah. that was good. Demonet, she crushed it. She did great. But yeah, yeah right? I mean, so, like, I mean, it's, yeah, Crosstown is, is a, I, ho- I hope that, that yeah, catches on. I hope on. people show up to these shows because yeah. they are doing some awesome things, you know. And, and that big MD show was packed. That made my heart feel good. You know, that was cool. Yeah. And then we did a big show there about a month ago. We did this gospel review there that I played bass on. Oh, the like, Barnes Brothers. Yeah, yeah. I played yeah, on that. Yeah. So we did that show. And, man, I had a good crowd at that, you know. So that gave me a little hope, you know. I've, did you track on? Was were you part of the sessions of that too? Yeah, or, yeah. That's yeah. my buddy Bruce. Yeah. So, so he has a studio here, the, the Fat Possum guy. Uh, Delta Sonic. Is yep. That, yep. Yeah. So I do all the the bass sessions there. And, and, yeah, man. And so, the Barnes so, Brothers is one of them. Why don't you talk a little? Because I've played with Cordy and Chris, and it's been like neo soul, R and B context. And then this, talk about this project, how this came about. Let's see. With Bruce, he he he, you know, he he had his big label in Oxford. And and uh, that started out kind of an indie label. I guess back in the '90s, they they they're the ones who sort of their whole stories. They sort of uh, invented that sort of I'm not gonna say invented, but kind of got these like North Mississippi Hill blues country kind of guys like Burnside, Junior, yeah, and, Burnside, yeah. Junior Kimber, all those guys. And, oh yeah, and started recording them, you know. And then but they would market them to like the college kids, you know, back in '92. So you got guys like I can remember seeing those shows, man. I go see RL man with with. 500 college kids out in the crowd screaming. You know what I mean? So they yeah. sort of, they kind of made this little niche and then that wound up kind of taking off and, you know, and things started getting licensed and all that kind of stuff and I guess some money was getting made so their label grew and now they're, I don't even call them indie, but they're a pretty big label. I mean, they got uh-huh. Black Keys, all that kind of stuff. So now he's kind of got these other sub-labels where, where it's more of his little pet project. Boutique. What's that? Boutique? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like so, boat, so, yeah. so he started this one thing called a Bible and Tire <laughs> recording, which is kind of like all these gospel guys. Yeah. You know, and, and he's and he's very, he's always, his whole stick has been a, it's not a stick, but he just likes things old, raw, old school. Yeah. Tape, you know, not too polished, not too fancy. So he's kind of doing that same thing with the, these gospel guys, you know, and, and kind of putting a different kind of production behind them, a little bit more grittier, you know. And uh, it's it's I dig it. It's cool. Yeah. You know, it's it's not traditional by no means. And you listen to uh the production on on the Sensational Barnes Brothers records. It's it's, it's old school. Mhm. I, I like it, you know, but right. it's not really what I don't think we would call gospel today. Uh-huh. You know, but I, but I, but I hope people like it, yeah. you know, but it it is a little different. It's just more of a throwback kind of thing. Right. Know? So so that's kind of how that came about, and that was uh, I think that was the first project he he did was them, yeah. And, uh, and that record just came out a few months ago, and it was great. And those guys are just the best. 
the barns? Yes. Yeah. Courtney they are Chris. so pro, man. Yeah. And they're that, just that whole family is just yep. saturated with yeah. with the musicality. We got the yeah. Calvin. Yep. Yeah, Calvin. I did a session with Calvin last week. Yeah. Uh, we're doing another one called the Dedicated Men of Zion. And, uh, <laughs> oh my goodness. These guys are from Greenville, North Carolina, and man, this stuff is going to be good. So Calvin played keys. Yeah. And he's my new favorite musician in town. That guy. He, yeah. He, right. He's a badass man. He's, he's a <laughs> Yeah, great player, great teacher too, man. Right? He, he kind of held my hand a lot of the way because a lot of this gospel stuff is new to me. It's, it's, it's kind of weird. It's kind of strange. It's, it's not in a box. Right. You know, like a lot of these changes, they, there's a few extra bars. There's, you know, it's, you really got to listen. You really got to follow the vocals, you know. It's, right. it's not like your typical 145 Bill Street stuff. Right. So first, I'm like, when I was doing the Barnes records, it's like, what the heck is going on here? You know, I'm sitting there <laughs> counting 19 times. And, you know, it's like, this is so weird to me. But, wow. By the time we did this last project and 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 hanging out with Calvin, man, uh, the, the light went. Off. I was like, okay, so yeah, I can kind of see how it works now. You know, it's it right. kind of slides a little bit, you know, and that's what makes it so neat and so special, right? Yeah, so, right. He he helped me out a lot. Thanks, Calvin. Oh no, Cal. Yeah, Calvin Barnes. <laughs> a force. Like, Calvin, what is that? It's over here. It's over here. <laughs> but he's very cool man. cool. man, that's that's a lot of good stuff right there. And we we got the, uh, uh, his their dad came in and recorded, and I was there for that. And uh, their dad sang a verse, and then his dad their dad apparently passed away. Of, That's like, right. A month later or something. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that was that was cool, man. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I like those guys. I think they have a lot of potential, and they have a what's their other group? Black Cream. That's right, dude. Yeah. I mean, those guys are stars, man. <laughs> they, they, yeah. Somebody needs to pick them up. They, yeah. They need to be stars. Yeah. I They're mean, awesome. Both those projects are really, 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 really good. Awesome, that's very cool. Um, so, what, what do you got coming down the uh, down the path? Speaking of, uh, we're almost in twenty twenty as of uh, today's date. We're almost there. Let's see, man, it is okay. So, twenty twenty, I'm going to Folk Alliance in uh, January, and a Folk Alliance. You know what Folk Alliance is? It's I've only heard of it. I, yeah, I'm not familiar. It's with it. pretty awesome. It's like the big international folk convention. I mean, people all over the world come to this thing, and and it's usually like in Toronto or in Canada somewhere. It was in Kansas City for a while. Oh wow! And uh, I went to the one in Kansas City. So pretty much, it's like ten thousand folkies, just like me with acoustic guitars and bo, like crammed into this little hotel <laughs> for two days, playing their songs in front of whoever listened. Yeah, okay. <laughs> then they have like uh, little workshops downstairs, but all the parties going upstairs. So you have all these unofficial showcases. So it'd be two floors, and it's just every room, every hotel room is made into like a little miniature venue. So it's pretty wild. You go in like room four or six, and there'll be fifty people crammed in watching somebody on top of bed sing. You know, oh gosh. no PA or nothing. Right. And you see some pretty big names. I, I saw the Milk Carton Kids in front of thirty people in a in a hotel room. Nick Cave. I mean, uh, uh, Ray Wiley Hubbard. One. I mean, it's 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 just a huge sort of kind of a networking sort of deal. Okay. And uh, it's kind of hard to get into, and and uh, uh, but. Uh, the Memphis Export people helped me out. Yeah. You know those guys? Yeah. They rule. They're awesome. So that's another great thing that's happening here in Memphis is we got people like that who are kind of stepping up and and, mm-hmm. and putting their money where the where, where the mouth is and, and helping folks out, you know? Right. And, and the coolest thing about Memphis Export is is uh, you go through the application process and, and they give you a little little money to, to, to go on the road and help support you. You know what I mean? Yeah, so right. If you go out there and, and book like, 10 gigs that they're they're kind of help you out a little bit make sure you get a motel room or something yeah. and make it a little bit easier and, and I think that is awesome yeah it yeah, is really. and this time they, they're doing a folk alliance and they're you know they took on five people and they're gonna 
pay their their admission fee and all that kind of stuff, and and because it's not cheap, right? But, uh, so. Is, yeah. is big, it big kudos to them. Thank so, you so much. Are you, go, yeah. are you going to Canada or is it, is it going to be? We're going. It's going to be in New Orleans this year. New Orleans? Oh, my goodness. So it's a no-brainer. It's like six hours on there, oh, man. Oh, gosh. So, uh, wow. So I think they picked like five of us, and we're going to go down there. and It's going to be cool. When is that? January 25th, January. 26th. Wow. It's a hoot, man. I'm telling you. It's just you've never seen so many folkies under one roof before. Yeah. It, anything like? Are you a fan of a, a mighty wind? You, oh, oh, dude! Is, 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 it, is it? Does it touch on that kind of vibe? It totally <laughs> touches on that. Some of it's a little dorky. You gotta have a sense of humor. I mean, people. Yeah, it is. It is just acoustic guitars and 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 fedoras and and and. <laughs> we we just sat our kids down and made them watch it. <laughs> <laughs> two weeks ago, Beck and I did. And they looked at us like we were nuts. I'm like, no, really. There's some deep threads happening here. No, they, they, <laughs> just take they, this they, in. This will make more sense when you're a few more years on you. But It totally like, parallels. totally <laughs> does. And I've done a few of those folk festivals before where it was like that. You know, it's like I did this one in Minnesota. And it was the first, like, real folk festival I did. And it was like, wow, this is way different than what I'm used to. You go out there and you walk out on the stage and you can hear a pin drop. Oh. You just hear people going, shh. <laughs> and then I'm singing my song, and and every time I might say a line that 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 might mean something, you see people going, mm-hmm. yeah. oh, like they're just oh, yeah. they're into it, you know. Yeah, it's that's like, that's love. Oh, that's so great. intimidating. You know oh I mean? wow, you feel a little vulnerable, huh? Yes, right. And then they clap their ass off, and it's done. You know, it's <laughs> <laughs> kind of. I mean, speaking of that, and we mentioned WEVO a lot on the show, but but and, and DJs being well. And, DJs as in as in the radio, <laughs> the, uh, the the celebrity I might be a little starstruck uh, would would be Bruce Bruce's folk song fiesta. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 I would yeah. love to meet that guy. You know, and he's yeah, right here. But wow, yeah, I love. Uh, I did a show on Weevil Forever called the Hardcore Show in the nineties. That was like six or seven years. Yeah. And back then they had this guy. You remember? You remember? They still play a show, Bashful Bob. Oh yeah. Oh, Bashful Bob is a. Man, that guy right there, he's a star. Right. Yeah, I don't think he's with us anymore. No. They, they still no. air his show. And, man, that was like the greatest thing on radio ever in the history of radio, Bachelor Bob. <laughs> I reckon so. Yes. <laughs> and I, I would always, sometimes i do my show the same day as him. And literally, he was the real deal, y'all. He'd come in and have all his records in like a potato sack and his overalls. And <laughs> his wife would drive him in and, you know, he'd sit down and, and just do his show. And wow. It was amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That guy was a treasure. Oh my gosh! Shoot. Yeah, mighty wind. That's some funny stuff right there, right? and it's absolutely true. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got you got some notes there, Jonathan. I've just been taking them, man. It'll it'll make the editing. Oh yeah, a lot easier. Well, did we cover? Like, you feel like we get we had a good spin? Like, we're, we'll we'll edit this here. But as far yeah, as yeah, like, man, that coffee's kicking in. I might get a little, yeah, little got rambly a little, for a little no, bit. It's, it's, no, we we we've covered you some good, coffee good kicks stuff, in, man. Your mouth yeah. is going, and but your mind's right here going. Your mouth is going. What are you talking about? You know, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, overall, I think you know, I'm just still happy to be here after all these years. You know, yeah, right. I, I always knew I wanted to play music, and, and Memphis was always where I wanted to go, you know, yeah. from a small town, Memphis is kind of a big deal. So three hours south of here, and I, I grew up, my dad was a big music fan, and he, he loved he loved anything Sun. So I grew up on Jay Lee Lewis, you know, Carl Perkins, all that stuff. Okay, so yeah. So that was always something I wanted to do, you know. And and then I had this little cool moment when I was 15. I played in a little band, terrible band. We, we played 
heavy metal covers and it was awesome but but the singer his uncle was wayne jackson of the memphis horns so so for every year for for brian's birthday wayne would get him studio time at memphis so i was like huh. 15 years old man and and we would drive up to memphis and we'd like record at sun or like go record all these cool studios and we're just recording the most awful music but but i guess it wasn't that well it's pretty bad well, I think we did like driving and crying, and I think we might have did a Skid Row song once or something. Yeah, but it was it was terrible. Looking back on it, it's terrible because here we had a guy like Wayne Jackson who was like this force in music, but we were too young to really know what a big deal he was. You know? Yeah, we thought it was cool because he played on YouTube Rattling Hum or or Peter Gabriel Sledgehammer. We thought that was cool. yeah, right. Oh, the whole yeah. stacks thing was over ahead at the time, you know, but uh. uh that was kind of my start into kind of getting into Memphis was was coming here and doing that and and then of course I wound up moving here to do school or whatnot but uh but yeah, I always knew I wanted to live here and I'm still here I just I've never had any thoughts about leaving yeah. a, a little addendum back back to songwriting because you talk about um, <clears throat> like the the million dollar quartet you know and and, and songwriters like Johnny Cash and it, what what is it with storytelling songwriting as opposed to uh, and this is a softball question, but I'm going to ask it. So, like, you know, you've, you've got actual kind of story construct as opposed to baby, ooh, babe, you know, do me baby, baby. Yeah. How, how, how does someone cross the threshold? Or how, just riff on that for a minute. Like, what, what, what is that about? Or how does that? Well, I guess you have storytelling, literally, which, you know, uh, a lot of people did quite well. Uh, but also you can have a storytelling songwriting in a, in a, in a very simple format that could be, Ooh, baby, whatever, if it's done right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, uh, so I'm trying to think of an example. I can't right now, but, uh, uh I don't know. There was a lot of, uh, probably one of my, my favorite songwriters who, who really did storytelling songwriting and he doesn't really get his due for being a poet was like Chuck Berry. I mean, those are beautiful lyrics, man. I uh -huh. mean, we're talking fifties right here. You listen to like promised land, Written down, that is poetry. That is an entire story right there. It is mm -hmm. amazing, you know, but we just know Chuck for being the guitar guy and for all his offstage shenanigans and PCAMs and all that kind of stuff. But, but, uh, can I say that? I'm totally. Yeah, it, it yeah. yeah. It, it happened. Yeah. It happened. It happened. Yeah, man. Those are like really cool stories in there. And, 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 and it's, it's told in a very simple way. Right. That identified to a whole lot of people, you know? And of course, you got in like the more like, Bob Dylan's and all that kind of stuff, and you know, right. it was he would use a thousand words to tell a story, and it worked. Yeah, yeah. Some people it doesn't, but it did yeah, but yeah. Anyway. I just it, it, it's it's wild to see someone uh, maybe who goes off to college and they discover Dylan, uh, they cross this threshold into music appreciation or, yeah. or just a whole different realm of like, oh, you could you can do this with a song, you can you can take you can kind of run a movie in someone's head to yeah. this little story that and. It, it, you know, I was listening to an interview the other day, and it was it was actually he, he writes nonfiction, but um, for an exercise, and it's a it's a well known exercise. But um, you know, you, you write what you want to say in a page, all right, and then you rewrite it in a couple of paragraphs, and then you will it down to a paragraph, and then and ultimately your yeah. goal is a sentence, and um, which is a, a fascinating exercise uh, and very difficult, but. In, in the same conversation, he said, well, you know, when I was really trying to hone this, um, he was 
reading, not listening to, but reading all of Tom Petty's lyrics. Oh, wow. And it's a master right there. Yeah, you know, and how, how you can just, you know, not use a thousand words. Yeah. Right. I, I think that's the key. And that, that, that's something I've yet to kind of master is, is just say a whole lot with very few words. And well, I think it goes yeah. back to what you were saying, you know, part of your process, which this is how I write if, yeah, I, yeah. if I write music, um, is just to have a routine where you do it. Yeah. And try not to expect a lot. Just You just got to get up yeah. and do it. And I think just that doing that and then having the, the idea of, okay, just blurt it all out and then whittle it down to yeah. one sentence, you know, and there, there are some parallels there. Oh, totally, yeah. totally. Yeah, that's the art of it. Tom Petty was the master. Yeah. Wow. I, I had that epiphany when I saw him two years ago in Memphis. Mm. You know, you grew up on this stuff. You heard him your, your whole life. And I'm yeah. watching that show. I was like, wow. Every single song is like amazing. It's like, how can one guy like do all this? And you know, and then we lost him a few months later. But I just remember, as a songwriter, that's the first time I really dialed in to like what it is that he'd done. There was yeah. watching him live, just think one song after another, and just seeing the crowd react to it, and it's like that's powerful, right? Like free falling, mm-hmm. such a simple song, man. Right? People losing their minds. Like that, that's magical. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like, well, yeah. Wow. Not everybody gets to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So right on. Pretty cool. Well, folks, go write some songs. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Maybe a couple murder ballads. That was one thing. Oh, yeah. We talked about it with Chris Davis, the whole. Yeah. How about a genre of just. Straight up murder battle. <laughs> yeah, I got one. I'm working on one right now. Are so. you really? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Kind of random, and so I just started. I had a, a song I did about two weeks ago, and and it was called uh, Youth of May, and uh, I'm, I'm 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 almost done. I just oh, got to figure out, you know. I'm I'm refining it now. It's like, okay, is it is it is it too much right here? Let me pull that part out. Okay. Is it too graphic here? <laughs> it's a murder ballad. Yeah. It's a murder it ballad. Is. Oh gosh! Yeah, like those. Uh, those. Uh, what, what's my favorite murder ballad? Uh, uh, probably everybody's favorite. Knoxville Girl, Leuven Brothers. Right. Oh wow. Wow. Well, that's the that's the conversation we had with Chris. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, we we were tracing the history of that. That was like holy cow. That song is so well written, mm-hmm. but so graphic too. Especially right. think about what is it like nineteen fifty nine when it came out or sixty. Yeah. Or a knocker over their heads like. <laughs> Damn! Uh, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> or, or Delia, uh, the uh, uh, show. Well, oh, no, the Dylan uh, thing. What, that, that's the first one I remember. But now I can't remember the title. Brown, uh, the farm. Um, Hollis oh, Brown. Uh, which Delia? Dylan had a bunch of them too. Katie Deer is another one by the Luton mm. Brothers. That's another great little murder ballad. Man. Yeah. Mm. Okay, maybe not so many murder ballads. That's but, the thing. But, but, I, yeah. <laughs> I think Katie Deary, I think she took her own life in that, in that song. But anyway, mm. yeah, check that one out. It's pretty graphic. Tom Dooley. There we go. Kingston Trio, Tom Dooley. Anyone? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Mark, thank you so much for hanging out with us, no, man. No, thank you. I hope I didn't this ramble is, too much. No, this, this, has been, this has been fabulous. You, you uh, got me all caffeinated on that fancy coffee right yeah, there. Yeah, right. Yeah, we, we, got, we got a little uh, uh, Christian crack, as, as it's called yes. in some circles. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> Did you nice. know that? No, I did not know. You did not know that. that? I mean, I, I, I oh, get gosh. the whole connection. Do you know, like Christian, crack? Christian, Christian crack, crack. Ooh, Christian oh crack, Christian crack. Yeah. Speaking of that, have y'all? Uh, uh, I know we're off record here. Have y'all seen the new TV show? Uh, uh, Royal Gemstones. Yes, oh. the Righteous Gemstones. Wow, Righteous Gemstones. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. If you're kind of into the whole Dewey Cox, Mighty Wind, that kind of humor, 
the righteous gemstones. All right, it is so inappropriate. List. It's so terrible. It's so dumb, but it's addictive. I couldn't. I watched them all like one night, nine hours. It's <laughs> Just so, binged it. Yes. Yeah. It, yeah. And yeah. And yeah. There was it, it, John Goodman, which I love him anyway. Yeah. So have you seen it though? No, I I have a friend. I I used to you know I worked for a televangelist for almost ten years. So, okay. so, so, so there's, there's, <laughs> there's a friend of mine who was a producer. We, he said he, he's made me promise that we will sit down and watch the, watch it, the it show. It might hit home a little much. They, they, they uh, you really know, get in there and make fun of all that. You <laughs> it, know, it's, it's, it, it's a real, it's a real thing. I mean, like, it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of happening in our current, uh, current events regarding, uh, Politics and, and religion, kind of making bedfellows. That's that's prosperity about, gospel. <laughs> that's of that genre, and yeah, and it's it's a uh, yeah, it's a realm of. Uh, have you seen it? Surreal. Not yet. No. You just have to watch some YouTube clips. No, no, I I, I just was watching YouTube clips of like, yeah, I've I've lived through some of this. <laughs> Dude, it's there, man. I, I kind of did a little bit growing up in Arkansas. So I was just right, like, right. Yeah, yeah. Like, like yeah. Some of the characters, like those, are real characters. Yeah, yeah you know. no, no, it is. Yeah, there's like, yeah, it's just kind of larger than like spectacle type of uh, uh, arena, uh, uh, spectacle arena. Um, yeah, it, it's it's just you know, there's an element of it. Now that we're getting off topic, but hey, why not? The, the, the element of like the uh, the traveling uh, uh, medicine man, uh, you know, kind of like coming to uh, a, a, de- a depressed area and offering this elixir of of change and of of hope. And of uh, prosperity or comfort of something, yeah. and 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 there's a mindset of like, man, maybe maybe this will do it. Maybe that maybe that this could be the thing, and um, that 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 marriage of 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 a mild it didn't you know despair and and uh, commercialized hope that it just never it, it it's just part of this narrative it never goes away like, yeah. like you, you just see it play out in all these different cult- indigenous peoples go through it you know modernized humanity still has it, it there's still like this thing of and it's uh you know and, and i think it needs to be called out in, in all yeah you know it, yeah it needs to be a big bright light needs to be shown on it and just kind of you need it to reflect it's on called this. out yeah it's, it's, it, it just it just does <laughs> Good, good. Lots, lots of lots of male frontal nudity too. Oh wow! Kinda Is that right? Me off guard. Yeah, really? Yeah, I was like whoa, huh? Whoa. Yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of that. Huh. Well, they, they go for the shock. Yeah. Things, yeah. <laughs> the murder ballad I could not think of. The ballad of Hollis Brown. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You, Brown was in the title. I could not okay. think of it. Yeah. Trying to get us back. Yeah, on I was track I, the here. one. I, when I was, I, I didn't say Dylan. I was thinking of Delia, uh, Johnny Cash. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, no, dude, no. I knew your shot. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, sh- I shot her once in the side. <laughs> Something. Yeah, it's a story. It's Christmas Day. Uh, a girl and her pimp having their last argument. You know, <laughs> Merry Christmas. Maybe I shouldn't have gotten this back on track. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, Mark, thanks for, <laughs> thank man, you so much for hanging here. out. Um, I, I can ramble on about inappropriate no, things. No, this all is good, man. Quick, another digression, please. <laughs> go, let's <laughs> go, go, Carl. We're going <laughs> to put your deets, uh, all your details up, uh, up on in, uh, uh, on our podcast links and whatnot. So people can yeah, get them on the website, and I think they have like all the. Do you do, uh, as far as like, like with gigs, you know, what's, what's your favorite? Uh, do you do Instagram, Facebook for like your current doings? And Oh, I got to get know, better at this. I'm terrible at it. You know. So I, I got a fan page. Yeah, uh, fan page. I do Facebook. Too. I got my personal page, which is Mark Ede, and my fan page is Mark Edgar. Yeah. But I'm a big Instagrammer. 
Yeah, Instagram is like awesome. I, I, need, yeah. I need to take it more seriously and look, yeah. really try to work it. But, but, but I think it's face- a better format for what, yeah. what we do. Yeah, yeah. Facebook just kind of got toxic, man. Like, well, it gets weird. But Instagram's yeah. kind of more too many immediate. opinions out there. I just, I just want to see guitars and dogs. That's you know, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. not, not so much opinions, you yeah. know, because it's, I think all that's dividing us in this day and age, and I, I don't like that. I hear that. Yeah. Mark, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate awesome, it. man. Yeah. Thank you so much. So, after listening, you should go write some songs. You really should. And, hey, Mark Edgar Stewart, go see him around town. Yeah, and, you know, and just a, a, a formidable, that's a good word, a formidable bass player. He's been doing a ton of sessions. Uh, check him out on the Bible Tire uh, label with the Barnes Brothers. Right, a lot of stuff um, that Delta Sonic uh, yeah. sound has been putting out. And if, if you're in town, look up the Halloran Center's uh, songwriting series that he's uh, curating. Um, hopefully that'll still be going in 2020. Uh, they've had some great artists uh, appear on there that we, we, we spoke of. And uh, man, just, just keep up with Mark's uh, schedule and go see him live. Yeah, 